Welcome to Superhero Stuff You Should Know. This is Uncle Ben Dies Again, and with me as usual is, with his crazy name... Just Andrew, everybody. <laughs> That's it. Yes. Keep it unpredictable. <laughs> sometimes I got a good one, sometimes I don't. You know? It's all good. We're, we're running low on steam at the final episode on 2022, but we usually end on a big one, and uh, with Avatar The Way of Water in theaters... We're going to continue our coverage of James Cameron's involvement in Spider-Man with his 1996 script meant three years after the draft that we went over last time. So this is so, the one that he actually gave a shit about. Yeah. So okay. we've gotten a few comments about whether or not Cameron had any involvement. And I thought we would go over a little bit to sort of address what you guys said about that script before we go into this one. So let's uh, start off first with uh, Mike Martin's uh, we. We weren't sure last time where the picture of Arnold and glasses came from, but Dan told this to us later. But Mark, Mike Martin's comments that it's from the movie Junior of Danny DeVito, which neither Andrew nor I have seen. So I haven't seen that or Twins, it. man. I've missed both of those films. <clears throat> I've missed the collaborations between Penguin and Mr. Freeze. But uh, if you uh, if you guys were with us for our Christmas special last week, you would have found out that DeVito was almost in the Sinbad role in Jingle All the Way. Though I think uh, we can agree it was good that it was went to Sinbad, considering what they talked about, <laughs> about another guy who's the same size fighting him. So it doesn't seem so unfair. Yes, yes. But thanks, Mike, for this comment. Thank you. We also asked last time for definitive proof about if Arnold was ever really in consideration for the role of Doc Ock saying okie dokie on it. So Mr. Eli Mack emailed us with an excerpt from Empire Magazine. I don't know which specific... Wow. Uh, issue but uh eli basically showed us this excerpt where arnold brings up that quote it never got there because he had a battle with the studio he being james cameron and they went in a different direction so that's interesting thank you eli okay. for bringing that up to us so it looks like that might have been on the table at some point but oh well all right uh, and then, of course, uh, we showed this to a, showed this to the audience in the Jingle All the Way episode. But our fan and patron Logan Wood sent us this mock-up of Arnold as Doc Ock, complete with the, uh, the stogie in here. So very appropriate. Yes, uh, thank you, Logan. And uh, let's see a few other comments in terms of whether or not Cameron was involved in the one we went over last time. Uh, let's go over a friend of the podcast, Tway N, uh, says. I'll be honest about the takes on Doc Ock storylines. Stan Lee had written an outline which was about 51 pages. I love Stan for his contribution on comics and other film outlines, among being his 1981 unfilmed Thor outline. But it was terrible and very way off. <laughs> I think he's referring to the Stan Lee Spider-Man outline. Okay. Uh, Newsom and Brancados was brilliant and more better suited and really fit in the mold of a comic book film like Donner Superman in serious but fun tone. That was the original draft that, you know, basically started this all. And, and the one we went over last time for Spider-Man was like the late, the like the final version of it after like three or four other writers. Uh, Barney Cohen's, who was hired for the canon version when Joseph Zito was to direct that draft from 1986 was OK, but terrible. It was the okie dokie and the sidekick wiener stuff. Uh, so, uh, oh my God. We, it at least made a fun episode for us. Uh, yeah. Menahem Golan's draft from 1989, which he credits as a pen name as Joseph Goldman, which is where you see Golden Mari on Cameron's so-called script, which is a typo error. Wow, I had no idea about that one. So <laughs> just mm -hmm. to break that down, Golan 
was one of the canon producers, apparently pen named Joseph Goldman on the script. And then it was Joseph Goldmari on the draft we went over last time due to a typo. Jesus, that's a okay. lot. Okay. Uh, but that guy's draft was awful <laughs> among the elements not in Cohen's original draft was when Auk gets bitten by a spider and when he gets kidnapped by Liz and says to Spider-Man that Auk is the true Spider-Man. Oy vey. But <laughs> James Cameron's so-called script from 1993 was pretty much a script submitted to Kuronko as they said to him, not write, but submit. So what Cameron did was uh, take the 1989 draft, made typo corrections and slapped his name on it and submitted the script. So you were right, Andrew. I think that's you pretty much called it. It just sound yeah. I could tell by the context clues yeah. and whatnot and whatever mm-hmm. knowledge I have of the film industry. <laughs> and also just where Cameron's at. Even if you're not like the biggest Avatar fan, you kind of know just going through that draft, you're like, this, this doesn't feel like he would have written this no <laughs> or way. approved this. No way. Uh, but this one we're going to do today is... It him. is him. It is yeah. him, guys. So that's why we saved this one for last. The Cameron treatment is interesting, says Tway, but it, need, it needed revisions if it ever went to production. All right. I think I can agree with that, but we'll see what the rest of you guys think. Uh, Braxton, one of our patrons, also uh, backed up Tway and Bob Garland, who I mentioned last time, is saying that uh, Cameron kind of just slapped his name on it. Bob Garland is right, by the way. Cameron had nothing to do with that particular draft. They just used his name for clout. So, Mm-hmm. What does Braxton think of the one we're going over? He says, Cameron's scriptment would have been so ahead of its time if he made it back in the day. It's dark and very realistic, but still very much the Stan Lee, Steve Ditko Spider-Man in spirit. Cameron really deserved a co-story credit for the Sam Raimi movie, since it's that script that movie uses as a jumping off point. So okay. we'll see uh, what you think on this. But darker, uh, huh? The what? It's darker. What we're about to do. It is. It actually is. I would say the closest in tone would probably be the first Garfield uh, Spider-Man yeah, in terms okay. of the, the tone, in terms of how, how dark it gets uh, or about human nature and stuff. But anyway, let's put this to the test. First off, um, notice that Braxton calls it a script meant, and that's because it's not really a script, nor is it really a treatment as in like an outline. It's like dubbed a script meant because Cameron kind of I mean it's James Cameron even in 1996 he can do whatever the hell he wants so yeah. he writes kind yeah, of a somebody com- will patch it up <laughs> yeah that'll be fine I'm a big picture guy <laughs> 3D he, pictures exactly so oh man Spider-Man in 3D back then uh, so it's a combination of an outline but with certain scenes scripted out with the dialogue written in total it is 58 pages but it is a packed 58 pages like this to me felt like reading 100 it might as well have been 120 pages just when i was going through it and typing the notes for this episode okay um, it is from 1996 and like the first andrew garfield movie the title is the amazing spider-man okay so uh we do open unlike the other ones with spider-man already in the suit and to represent that we have concept art from James Cameron's book, Tech Noir, The Art of James Cameron. These pictures come from one of our fans, Sketchcraft, who sent this over to us. Thank you, Sketchcraft. Uh, notice this is the black suit in this picture. But not Venom. But it's not Venom. So uh, I was reading up on the text that's put in the book, and Cameron said that this is actually, he claims that he did this. Like, he did the art. He didn't hire some or commission anyone. He actually did this mock-up himself mm-hmm. to get himself in the mood for writing the script 
And he said that, quote, I wanted to express the vertigo that the movie would induce when going up high rises with a fearless wall crawler. That's which I cool. Could, I could totally see Cameron being like, this is how I'm going to shoot the building and, and that stuff. Like, he'd be very, mm-hmm. you know, he'd be obsessing for weeks and months uh, over just how to do that shot. Right. In terms of the black suit, he explains that he put this version first because he wanted Venom to show up either in the first film, though it's not in the scriptment, or the sequel. He's actually a big Venom fan. I did not know this. That is cool. I read this. Me yeah. and Cameron, we get along on Venom, <laughs> I think. <laughs> he, he says he's actually not a fan of Green Goblin or Kingpin, which I I was thrown by. I mean, I, I'd understand Weird. it if he was just like, yeah, I'm not a big fan of Morbius, <laughs> even back yeah. then, uh, or Craven the Hunter. But I'm like, Green Goblin and Kingpin, those are like the two biggest ones. But okay. Um, but well, Cameron didn't see uh, D'Onofrio do that he didn't, role. No, yet. he didn't. Not no, yet. that's true. That's true. So maybe he he ends up changing his mind. But this one uh, of the best Marvel villains, man. That, that Kingpin. I'm looking forward to when he comes back. Yeah. Uh, in this book, Cameron calls Spider-Man the Amazing Spider-Man. If we go by the title in the script, quote, "The greatest movie I never made," which I think oh, is wow. great. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, but eventually he did redo this mock-up with the traditional Spider-Man suit. So here we have it with the red and blue version, uh, nice. but same picture. And that's pretty much the main concept art that exists of this uh, that he did himself. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, no, he but, draws. I mean, the, that was that trivia back in the day that that's his hands drawing the girl like the French girl in Titanic. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. For the close-ups, it is mm-hmm. Cameron's hand drawing. So Cameron... That makes sense has artistic ability in this way yeah yeah so this is really cool so this is james cameron's spider-man art everyone Pretty so sweet. for the scriptment we open on spider-man hanging upside down with a voiceover narration similar to how the raimi movie has toby doing a voiceover narration he's hanging from the world trade center again this is 1996 before obviously before 9 11 and uh, his voiceover talks about his life and that the world would be shocked to know that Spider-Man or the Spider-Man, as he's called in the press, is not a man at all, but actually a 17 year old kid named Peter Parker. (laughs) So Cameron does take Peter back to being 17 years old in high school, not in college, like in the previous draft we went over, Uh, Mm -hmm. like in the comics. He's I mean, we've got standard shit here living with Aunt May and Uncle Ben. Parents are dead. Uh, goes to school in Forest Hills, but he lives in Flushing. Uh, so making him basically the poor kid from the other side of town at school. I'm not super familiar with New York City, so let us know if, if that ranks true to you guys. What was the name uh, of the city again? Uh, Flushing. He lives in Flushing, but goes to school in Forest Hills. I think that's Queens. Yeah. I think Spider-Man's yeah, specifically from Queens. He is. By the way, is. the band The Ramones that I love is from Forest Hills. So Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway. There's a bit of the Spider-Man connection there. Even though I, it's think, the I think version. the Ramones did a Spider-Man song, right? But I mean, this is going to be in the comments probably. Yeah. <laughs> I Let think they I think they did because there's a lot of Spider-Man pride and a lot of Ramones pride in that area, oh, especially. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Uh, so yeah, Peter's a bookworm, but Cameron describes that he's not just any bookworm. He also feels an air of superiority about himself while also, as Cameron specifies, Peter is a virgin. So <laughs> we have to get that out. <laughs> we have to get. That. Yeah, exactly. So it's interesting because I think he wants to basically be like, hey, like, yeah, he's a nerd, but also he's not like completely innocent. He's going to have a darker side that Spider-Man kind of 
gives them permission to sort of enhance uh, I think or people live out. Probably, people probably thought nerds were more uh, innocent before the internet. Yeah. And now that we've seen what <laughs> nerds can do, uh, we definitely yeah. know there's a dark side. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, it's what you do with that side. But also like seven... <laughs> Am I am I just that much of a nerd? Most seventeen year olds are virgins, right? I mean, it goes without saying. Uh, I would think so, but again, but look at us. Look at us <laughs> with, our, with our podcast on. The Let's just put it this way: on the internet, I was it was after seventeen for me. Yes, yeah, same here. Yeah. So, but I guess it's late for nineteen ninety six James Cameron standards. So yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. James Cameron was fucking <laughs> in high school. Yes, well, he was a fucking. Wasn't he a truck driver or some shit before he was in movies? I don't know. I'll. Uh, I haven't looked that much into his background. I know okay. Yuzlan at one point mentioned that they were on the same movie together at one point, uh, but I don't remember anything else before. You know, this is like the Abyss era, Aliens, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, but. So in the previous draft, we talked about how Liz Allen was the main love interest in this one. It's Mary Jane Watson, just like in the 2002 film. So okay. uh, that's something that's familiar. Uh, he wants to basically be lab partners with Mary Jane, and she actually wants to be lab partners with him, too, because she needs a good grade in order for her parents to get her a car. So Peter oh, feels so like she's he's just got using him. Yeah, kind of in the beginning here. And Peter feels like, oh, maybe I got a chance, but she's going out with a guy named Nathan McCreary, whose nickname around school is Flash. So basically, this is Flash Thompson. I don't know if Cameron just didn't know Flash, didn't remember Flash Thompson's real name uh, or anything at this point, because I don't know why he's Nate McCreary, but he's Flash Thompson, basically. I don't know why they change these names, dude. It drives me crazy. It's not like Flash Thompson's a stupid name. Yeah, it's I, a cool. It's a pretty cool name. Overall. I feel like Cameron. This is, if anything, it was less to do with him not liking the name and more to do with Google wasn't around and he was just he had to turn that, some shit out because Flash, <laughs> Flash is not the most important character in this. We often forget that, but you're right. There was no internet that much in '96, so mm -hmm. uh, even if he had it, it might not have been like there wasn't Wikipedia or anything. So, yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, we we forget like. You just couldn't look up shit back then. These days, we're just like, dude, come on. There's a Google. But like back yeah. in 96, he's just he's probably on the typewriter just being like, what's the guy's name again? Yeah, fuck it. Just put yeah. Flash. I'll, we could save Play it later. This is the first draft. Placeholder for sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, it says Peter oscillates between despising MJ for being the popular girl who's probably using him, but also fantasizing about, you know, saving her from a burning building and being her hero and uh, getting a kiss from her. So. You can see already Peter's kind of a complicated character. Uh, after Flash and his friends all make fun of him, Peter goes to a seminar at a local university where they are genetically engineering flies. Not spiders, but flies. Okay. This is Flyman, everybody. No, this is, they have... <laughs> the Flyman. <laughs> they already did that with Jeff Goldblum. But... Yeah, Goldblum just shows up. Uh, that'd be a hell of a crossover. You know, scatting um, jazz and all kinds of... <laughs> flip it, flip it, shit he does all the time. It's true. Uh, there I, are... he, he seems great, but man, that guy is idiosyncratic, isn't he? Indeed, yeah. <laughs> you get him for a certain type of character. Yeah, yeah. He was great in Ragnarok. 
I know I know a lot of people were just like, oh, Jeff Goldblum could have been a great choice for Scarecrow in a Batman five. And I'm like, I don't know if I really see him as Scarecrow. Dude. Like, Not these days, unless Scarecrow was playing some jazz at a nightclub and <laughs> going off about some random yeah. shit all, constantly. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's hard to, for me to see that. Maybe back, maybe back in the older days, but anyway, the there's a mutated fly who's escaped. You know, they there's ten flies that they're experimenting on, but Peter notes that there are only nine of them in the cages. Now, if that sounds familiar, there's a similar beat in Raimi's Spider-Man, where there's supposed to be a certain number of spiders, but but uh, I think MJ points out that one of them has escaped. So this ties into what Braxton was talking about, how how the Raimi movie actually owes a lot to this script you could even say that this is like almost like the first draft of what would become the 2002 movie mm -hmm. uh, in some ways so the the escaped mutated fly has gone around but ends up getting caught in a spider's web where it gets eaten by a spider so you see where this is headed i don't okay. know why this had to be complicated where it's, it's not a it's not an engineered spider it's a it's a fly that then gets eaten by a I spider know, i would yeah i know it's probably his first draft is probably mm -hmm. better than my first draft could have been but but still, it's like just just have the spiders radiated. Yeah, one gets loose. They're small spiders. It's fine. Yeah, they exactly. get gonna get loose. I, I don't. There's not much of a point to this uh, this change either, which <laughs> is why it's good that Raimi just changed it back. He's just like, couldn't just make it spiders? Come on. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, Peter asks to take a picture for the school paper, like in the movie, and he gets the shot that he wants. But a spider, you know, the spider that ate the fly comes down and bites his hand. So mm -hmm. now he's gotten the big spider bite. He takes the subway home, but feels sick, kind of like uh, Andrew Garfield. But then he arrives home and ends up getting dark visions, very similar to Raimi's, though in Raimi's, he kind of envisions like DNA mutations and stuff, or maybe they're yeah. not even visions. I think they're just showing us what's happening in his body. But in the Cameron version, he has visions of jumping from rooftop to rooftop into different buildings and stuff. So he's already sort of oh. kind of having a premonition of what he's going to become preview of his abilities exactly yeah uh so peter then wakes up from all this relieved only to find that he's hanging from the top of a tower in his underwear so that's different <laughs> from the other one he's got to sneak back home and huddles up to the bathroom uh not sure what's happening to him and then he sees a spider in a web in the window and he looks at it and says that's it i shall become a spider no, he doesn't say that. But it's it's, yeah, it's for a moment. <laughs> it seems like that's what they're gonna go with. Because I'm just like, why is he looking at this? A spider? big ass radioactive spider flies in through the window, and he's not even terrified. He's like, "That's it, that's Bye. it, <laughs> old chum." I have these spider powers. What should I do with them? Become a spider. So Peter, I'm just glad this web comes out of my hands and not my butt like a spider would be. That'd be terrible. Uh, Peter also notices he's able to see without his glasses now. Uh, so that's another beat that is. That's a great beat, by the way. Yeah, it like, is. Great I visual. Think, ah, it's just so good. This is like one of the other reasons why Spider-Man is like the top of Marvel, man. It's just like, mm -hmm. it's like literally the nerd becomes the hero. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. like yeah. Batman's not so nerdy. but no, no. But this this is like obviously just kind of perfect myth making. Mm -hmm. you know yeah and it's 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 relatable for the nerds of course uh it's <laughs> like us and uh it's it was great the way that they pulled it off in the raimi film so that was really cool and then in this in the scriptment peter goes back to bed and then we when he wakes up he's still in his bed he's not in the tower but 
he's got all this white sticky stuff that's sticking <laughs> him to the bed. I can see Cameron in the room with the uh, MPAA, the Motion Picture <laughs> Association or whatever. They're, they're the people that give ratings out. I could just see him like, that's a webs, all right? Webs. <laughs> yes. So these are webs. And in this version, it's organic web shooters. And so Cameron <laughs> was the one to come up with the idea that, hey, like, what if these actually shoot out of his body? He doesn't actually make them. And uh, for that one of the not reasons, in the comics at all. That is not in the comics, especially at the time. I think it got adopted in, you know, adapted into the comics at one point. But it's in the very beginning. Amazing Fantasy 15. He's just like, I'm going to construct these, you know, web fluid and make these web shooters. And that's kind I, of what it is. I know it's the old school way, but I thought it was put, put into the comics before Cameron, like in, uh, you know, the Todd McFarlane run when they were changing a bunch of shit around. Correct us in the comics. I, I think it was kind of or somewhat organic to the symbiote when he got taken yeah. over with the black suit but you know that's that's different because that's the alien symbiote that's not really his web shooters at that do you point. have a preference um honestly not really um i think i think it works with the organic web shooters given <laughs> given what cameron cameron's backup for his reason behind this so uh I've sent you the quote for you to read off for Cameron okay. to to back up his choice here uh, oh, on, on uh, why he did organic web shooters. And it, it makes a lot of sense to me on it, even though we can laugh about what it's a metaphor for. But hey, I want it to be a metaphor for puberty and coming into manhood with all the confusion and anxiety that happens when your body changes. That's when you have to learn what's right and what's wrong and you have to do the right thing that's what spider-man should be about so <laughs> there was also it's mainly a metaphor for puberty so he's you know there's a kind of an obvious connection there motion everywhere <laughs> the web shooters yes <laughs> uh, but there's another aspect here too where cameron and he told this to stanley himself cameron was just like you're telling me this kid who's in need of money create something that not even like the top scientists in the world can create. <laughs> and it's one thing that he's brilliant, but he never thinks to like profit off of that too. I think was another aspect. So he just felt it was unrealistic for Peter to develop something so advanced himself. And I think Raimi agreed with that, which is why it made it into the 2002 movie. Okay. So it does make sense. Of, unless yeah. he's like an extreme, like open source kind of guy, but that's another mm -hmm. conversation. <laughs> Uh, Cameron claims that Stan Lee himself approved of this idea of the organic web shooters. So there okay. we go. <clears throat> uh, he basically tries to, he basically freaks out about this stuff and ends up sticking to the walls, going high up buildings, trying to figure out what's going on. He doesn't even know how to get unstuck at one point and even ask a kid to call 911 before he's able to peel himself off the wall. That'd be uh, a good, good beat. And like, how are my legs sticking through the shoes? <laughs> <laughs> never really address uh, oh, yeah, well maybe too. they might have actually in the comics i don't want to say never but it's just you know it's a very the... it's that visceral visual in the raimi one that i love where it's it's the close-up of his hands and you can see like the microscopic uh like the spider type stuff peek out yeah. from it where like you can't see it from the human eye but you know like oh that's what enables him to stick when he goes up that happens so. with the shoes as well i would assume it goes like through his feet 
you know. Well, yeah, and he's not wearing. Actually, yeah, it does kind of make sense, if, especially if he's not wearing boots. He doesn't wear boots. He wears like pretty low, pretty you know, like toms or something, or whatever it is under there. Yeah, it's like yeah. Kinda... I don't think he's in like hardcore boots. No, no, no. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so Peter starts experimenting more with his powers, testing his newfound super strength, using the fluid out of his wrists as webbing. And he, you know, has a whole montage of like how to form webs and stuff and form it into the shapes that he needs. Um, he's also become more muscular now due to just how much he's working out from doing all this climbing. Um, and he just feels compelled to run out on the rooftops and jump out at night because Cameron kind of wanted this to be about the awakening of his primal drives as a, as a, you know, as a teen. And, uh, you know, the, the lure of the dark replaces his fear of the dark and helps his growth into becoming a man, according to Cameron. And I think this is that's cool. It's like this is the core of why Cameron wanted to do the story was it's a coming of age story. Definitely. This guy's a superhero movie, mm -hmm. which I think is why what makes the original, you know, some of these Spider-Man movies really appealing is that you you see that, you know, it's a young most of the time it's a young kid either in high school or college who it's a coming of age story for that version of Spider-Man who, who learns and grows up the same way that we do. Maybe right. not exactly the same, but still, um, mm -hmm. <laughs> Peter at one point does visit MJ's house and sees her take her shirt off, which <laughs> makes him fall off <laughs> because, <laughs> whoa, whoa. <laughs> for obvious reasons. Um, his own grades start slipping because he's just out there <laughs> spying on MJ, taking her shirt off and that type of stuff. Uh, but he decides he needs to, uses abilities to help bring in money, especially because Uncle Ben gets laid off at one point. So he thinks about using his abilities to bring in the money, and he writes out potential names, including the human spider, then he crosses that out, then puts man spider, then he crosses that out, and then he puts Spider-Man. Obviously the best choice. Uh, so mm -hmm. Peter arrives on the street, and he's dressed in black with a fishnet stocking on his head, much like in the Amazing Fantasy number 15 when he first goes out. And he does a whole bunch of acrobatic moves for tips on the street before he gets offered a job for performing at parties. But the condition is you got to make a better suit than that. So mm -hmm. he puts together a red and blue Lycra dance skin and a mask that turns into the traditional Spider-Man suit. And here's an interesting thing that is not in the Raimi version. He's like, I don't want people to think I'm a freak. So he builds the web shooters to make it look like he shoots them from a device. Oh, even wow. though it's actually coming out of his body. What an interesting like note he had. Yeah. I, I really thought this was cool because like, that's not in the Raimi version. And you're like, oh, because it, it 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 adds another element of him having to hide a part of himself. And it does. It pays off in a really interesting way later in the script. Mm -hmm. um, but he also practices his voice. So Spider-Man has a different voice for Peter Parker, which is not really super evident in the movies. They all kind of sound like Peter Parker in a mask uh, in these movies, but Spider-Man is supposed to be everything Peter is not in being more confident and cocky. So you can kind of see that would be fun for an actor to come up with a separate voice for Spider-Man. Um, right. So he becomes a sensation on TV as a performer, catching the notice of rich tycoon Carlton Strand. Strand watches Spider-Man on multiple TVs. Spidey describes him as, quote, you think Trump was big? This guy is bigger in this 1996. Uh, so we're talking about the uh, we're talking about 90s Trump here. Uh, yeah. Strand is in his office and he can change the channel without a remote, because even though he seems like an original character, he really is James Cameron's reimagining of Electro. OK, 
So we got our first villain. There's no Okie Dokie Doc Ock in this one. We got different villains for this. So Carlton Strand used to be a two-bit hood who was running away from the cops and in the chase ended up among towers that attracted lightning. He, of course, gets hit by lightning, just like in the original story, and survives and becomes a form of Electro. This is very similar to the Electro in the comics, though. He, his name is Max Dillon in the comics and in the uh, movies with Jamie Foxx. Okay. Uh, Strand goes back to the gang who betrayed him and set him up with the uh, with the cops. So he uses his electrical powers to kill all of them. Basically, um, it also says he can sense electrical energy, so he can like hear a conversation by putting his hand on a telephone wire. That's pretty cool. Okay. Um, but he uses what makes him different from the comic book Electro is that Electro seems like he's kind of just small fry and a bit, but. Uh, he uses his power to grow a legitimate business, manipulating bank transfers and controlling the stock market using, you know, electricity and stuff and becomes a powerful billionaire described as Donald Trump meets Milken with homicidal psychosis. Um, he's from what I can see, he's kind of like electro. It's like Norman Osborn or Wilson Fisk with Electro's powers is kind of okay. what he seems to be. Um, he tells his henchmen to find everything he can about the Spider-Man. And then he also is, you know, developed further by having a girlfriend named Cordelia. Now, Cordelia can only wear a wetsuit around him because he has the Midas touch. He can electrocute her at any time if he touches her bare skin. Oh so God. he almost accidentally kills her from kissing her until he has to use his electricity powers to defibrillate her back to life, which I thought Whoa. was pretty hardcore. Uh, I don't know if there's any precedent for that with Electro in the comics, but I thought that's pretty like that feels like a Cameron thing. Cameron stamp. Yeah, exactly. Uh, meanwhile, Peter and MJ work together in science class and they have a project on spiders. MJ is grossed out by spiders, but Peter tries to convince her that spiders are cool. And now they can see by the touch of the webs, but she isn't having it. But she does seem to like him a little more. Uh, okay. He then witnesses her get into an argument with her boyfriend Flash and Flash ends up hitting her in oh, rage. Man. Peter dresses in his mask and beats the ever loving shit out of Flash Thompson and destroys his car. Okay. <laughs> telling him to stay away from MJ. So <laughs> I don't think this version of Flash is going to be a Spider-Man fan like in the comics. Right. Um, Spider-Man has a voiceover about how it was all the pent up rage from being picked on by bullies over the years. And that's what scared him was that he liked beating the shit out of Flash. So mm -hmm. again, we're exploring Peter's darker side in this movie. Um, to clear his head, Peter goes web slinging in the city, getting to know it more, getting more from, more familiar with it, which is like a stage of superhero dumb that like, we don't really see that much either in the comics or, or the movies. It's like, you gotta know the city inside and out. All the little nooks and crannies, all the shortcuts and stuff in order to, you know, all the times that you see the criminals running off and stuff and then suddenly like Spider-Man's there or Batman's there. It's because like they know the city better than anything else. So right. I kind of like this aspect. And uh, as he's web slinging, he wonders in the voiceover about why there is so much pain in the world. So again, more and more of that like darker tone here. Okay. Uh, the next day, Uncle Ben tries to reach out to him and figure out what's been going on. Your grades have been failing, failing. And, you know, while Uncle Ben is not his father, he was a teenager once, too. And he'll understand. But Peter brings up that he, you know, he can't understand knowing how complex his life has become. Right. Once again, he goes out and fights crime. He sees a man beating up his wife and he goes in to try to stop it. But when he starts attacking the man, the wife starts attacking Spider-Man in return to get him off her husband, which kind of just shows that 
the world that he sees is a little bit more black and white than it might actually be to other people. Right, right. So interesting stuff here. Uh, Peter also seems to find that MJ's life is similar to his and that she kind of has her own double life. She seems like she's got the perfect life. She's hot. Everything's put together. But in reality, she lives in an abusive home, which we see in the Raimi movie, too. Uh, so yeah there's a lot of it kind of feels a little bit episodic in some ways in this as you might be able to tell it's kind of a little bit all over the place we're just like we kind of have this scene and that scene and this scene but i think again this is like a first draft type of scriptment so electro is the villain for the whole thing or no electro is the villain for the whole thing yeah okay got it um spider-man makes tv appearances until he gets visited by electro's girlfriend who delivers him a note with the message there are others like you indicating oh, electro yeah um, oh, i thought he meant the avengers well <laughs> <laughs> that's, i guess that's true too but i don't think they were thinking they weren't that ambitious they were just trying to get a spider-man film uh off the ground back in the days when they weren't thinking about cinematic universes yet and now every day <laughs> these days everybody seems to want their own everybody's need one everybody yeah. gets one <laughs> so electro's henchman yeah electro's henchman ends up attacking spider-man and Spider-Man decides, you know, he's going to fight this guy. He punches him and his hand goes through the guy's stomach and comes out the other end because the man has turned into sand. Oh, Enter okay. Sandman. Sandman works for the basically works for Electro in this script. So uh, his name is Boyd, though. It's not Flint Marco. So, again, Cameron is just I don't know how much of this is just Cameron not remembering the main <laughs> like their, their oh, names. Not remembering, songs. man. Which, you know, is fine. Again, like, this is... I'm sure there probably was some collection with, like, these old, you know, the old Ditko and, and Stan Lee stuff, but maybe it was a case where his assistant was, like, ordering it, and he just wanted to turn this thing out, and he would change the names later. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, probably. it's Sandman versus Spider-Man, and uh, Sandman kind of just slips away as sand. It, it, it's not a complete, like... It's not a fight to the death sort of thing. It's kind of just, like, almost like a warning type of thing. It's really just Electro and Sandman testing Spider-Man's capabilities. Okay. Uh, Spider-Man's not sure what to make from this, but he's trying to collect money from his booking agent for all his different appearances. His booking agent decides to screw him over and refuses to pay him, challenging Spider-Man, like, how are you going to report it? You're going to have to take off that mask and you're going to have to give the cops your ID. And Peter doesn't want his identity out there. So he has to walk out defeated and lo and behold, a masked robber uh goes past him as a robbery in progress uh spider-man notes that this man has a tattoo of a cobra on his hand this is actually similar to what we would see in the garfield uh amazing spider-man where the killer had a star tattoo on his wrist so i'm kind of wondering if that this influenced that movie too um the thief runs off and the security guard tells spider-man to stop him but spidey already pissed about what happened to him says that's not my job and lets the guy go we can kind of tell what's going to happen next. So he then goes off to meet Uncle Ben to pick him up, only to find a group of people in the street in a circle where Uncle Ben's been shot by a carjacker. Now, this is another thing that makes it into the Raimi movie, because in the comic, it was like Spider-Man lets the guy go. And then a few nights later, the guy just happens to be a burglar at Uncle Ben's house. Here, it's more streamlined. Uh, It feels a little bit more organic, where like the guy jacks a car that happens to be uncle ben's car because it's all happening around the same time i like this better so peter stays with him but his uncle dies before the ambulance arrives 
Spider-Man goes on the manhunt for the carjacker, encountering him at the warehouse. The carjacker is not Wiener this time, <laughs> but uh, comments that they keep running into each other. And Spider-Man wonders what he means until he confronts the man and sees his face and realizes this is the robber with the Cobra tattoo that he let go. So unlike the previous script of Wiener, though, since this is a Wienerless script, Peter is crushed by the realization that he did not use his powers responsibly. And that pretty much takes care of the origin. They at least have that beat. <laughs> Cameron knows what he's doing here. He knows you need yeah. that beat in order yeah, to turn yeah, Peter yeah. into Spider-Man. That was not in the previous one. I was, I'm still shocked that wasn't even in the previous one at all. But as you well, can see, it looks like fucking wieners in it as well. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Honestly, listening to this one, it's like, it's hard to like, make jokes about because it's like mm, that makes sense mm, that's yeah, good mm -hmm. i know it, it, yep, it that it's, one's good also it looks like the raimi film owes a lot to what james cameron wrote out here so yeah i think he's so, yeah he's spider-man now he's ready to be a superhero he's ready to fight strand and boyd aka electro and sandman but we'll have to find out all about this after the break just wanted to announce that i have a new podcast called gaming gaiden it's about Japanese to English translation in this first season. It will be 10 episodes each season. If you saw the ranking, every Superman video game two-parter we did here on Superhero Stuff You Should Know, you have seen Mike before. So yes, if you like video games, if you've been interested in Japanese ever, we're going to be talking a lot about just Japan in general, Japanese cultural differences as well. And we also are going to have a lot of talk about 90s video game magazines such as Electronic Gaming Monthly, a.k.a. EGM. So stay tuned for Gaming Gaiden Podcast. It's already out now, y'all. And we want to uh, tell you about the Patreon.com. Patreon.com slash Superhero Stuff Pod. And on that, you get the $1 tier. Uh, you can join the $1 tier, which gets you the shout-out on the board, and either visually or orally, or both at times. Uh, <laughs> we want to do the oral uh, for the most part uh, for newer people. Uh, and then the $5 tier gets you a whole new show. Uh, this show is every Monday, as you well know, and it's free on YouTube and the What's Nots. And... Um, <laughs> The uh, Patreon show is every Friday at the $5 tier mark. You can, if you want, binge us for five mm -hmm. bucks. And uh, there's like 150 episodes, uh, almost 150 at this point. And you can, uh, you know, listen to all that content there. Even the stuff that's been released from the vault, none of that has been the full episode as well. So mm -hmm. <laughs> trying to keep our uh, $5 tier people happy. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so, but yeah, check that out. And then our $10 tier gets you all of the above. Plus a, uh, it gets you a monthly meetup show where you meet up with us monthly. And it's like a zoom like call. And we have a topic at hand or sometimes videos we react to and things like that. And that's at the $10 tier. Um, every tier, that you get like the $5 tier gets you the $1 tier benefits and the $10 tier gets you the $5 tier benefits and the $1 tier benefits. So mm -hmm. check that out at patreon.com slash superhero stuff pod. We also got the merch, which is Redbubble, superhousepod.redbubble.com and on threadless superhero stuff pod.threadless.com. 
Get your Ben Man and Indeed Wizard mug, shirt, shower curtains, and all the rest artwork by Stefan Santa Cruz. And please send us some audio at superhousepodcast at gmail.com. A bumper would be great. Mm-hmm. You too can be part of the show. I'm Thunderwolf Drew on Instagram and Twitter. Thunderwolf Lives is my other YouTube channel, one of my many YouTube channels. And I have uh, also ThunderwolfDrew.com. has my whole portfolio in one place except for AmanoRecon.com. That's A-M-A-N-O-R-E-C-O-N.com. And that is uh, an original idea that some friends and I are doing where it is R-rated um, Power Rangers meets Stranger Things. That's the quick pitch, and it is not a fan film, original idea. We have a pitch video right now on YouTube and on the Indiegogo page. We're campaigning right now as of this, uh, when this episode premieres, and this poster art is by ZacharyJacksonBrownArt.com, and check it out. Please support us on the campaign, and more from that soon. Uh, but yes, it's uh, it's blood, and that's it, Ben. Follow us on social media on Twitter at Superhouse Pod, Instagram Superhero Stuff Pod, where we have some different supplemental stuff. We even, I've even analyzed the martial arts stance that the Keaton ornament from the Flash is in, so you can check that out on our Instagram Superhero <laughs> Stuff Pod, uh, TikTok Superhero Stuff Pod, Vero Superhero Stuff Pod. My website is BenWanWriter.com, where you can read a whole bunch of spec scripts, including. Gotham, Vampire, Elementary, The Death of Sherlock Holmes, and Curb Your Enthusiasm, Disneyland. If you're fans of any of those shows, check them out and let us know what you think. My YouTube channel is in the description below, including Doctor Who, The Ronin of Time, an audio drama I write, edit, and narrate with the 8th Doctor, meaning Miyamoto Musashi. My personal Instagram is Writer. If you like cats, my son, Alfie, my cat, is at Alfie Pennyworth Cat. And if you have an Alfie yourself, then you can get the whisker box, the only cat box with a crazy cat lady and gent. And you can even check out another page on that website, superherostuffpod.com slash show notes. That includes uh, various show notes for each of our episodes, links to the scripts that we review if they're available online. Amazon links to the stuff we've been talking about, including, you know, Brian Levant's book that he plugged for us, My Life and Toys. So check that out at superherostuffpod.com Do you like hounds? Do you enjoy pooches? Do you find yourself enjoying time spent with that of canines? Talking about dogs, y'all. As you might have heard, Superhero Stuff You Should Know has now teamed up with BarkBox. For every month, you get a box for your special canine. Pooches. Or hounds. That's right. One free extra month if you go to BarkBox.com slash Superhero Stuff Pod. Follow the link and you'll get a free extra month valued at $35 and valid for all multi-length plans. So get the BarkBox for your hound, for your pooch, for your canine. Your doggo will thank you. You guys are still talking about that shit? And we're back with Spider-Man. So, we left off to a similar moment that caused the break last time where Spider-Man catches his uncle's killer. So, sadly, Spider-Man does not give Wiener to the police in this one, because it's not Wiener, but he he ties, he basically gives the regular robber over, and the police are skeptical and want to bring him in, too, because he's in a mask. So, again, similar to Andrew Garfield. Uh, right. He's resentful of the fact that he did their job, and now they want to bring him in? No fucking way. So, right. uh, they try to put him in handcuffs, but he's got super strength, so he breaks out of them and escapes. 
Now, this catches the notice of a certain J. Jonah Jameson on TV <laughs> who appears and brings up that Spider-Man attacked two cops. He's a menace and starts the war between Spider-Man and the Daily Bugle. That's so pretty, pretty organic. Again, it's like nothing. Yeah. Really like these are this is all good stuff so far. Yeah, it much. is. It, it's pretty right so far. Right. Everything just seems like, well, this makes a lot of sense for especially for bringing Spider-Man to the big screen for the first time. Yeah. Um, Spider-Man becomes obsessed with his war on crime and ridding the world of pain and beating up all the bullies. He interferes at one point in the case of police brutality, which makes him even more of a wanted man. Uh, he can't make any money off of appearances anymore because he's a wanted man. So he's broke, but he's becoming a hero to different neighborhoods and different people, different ethnicities try to claim that like he's one of their own. The Mexicans are saying he's Mexican. The black guy says that Spider-Man's definitely a brother, much like Jamie Foxx in No Way Home. So mm -hmm. uh, Peter also finds out that MJ is now a big Spider-Man fan. And at one point he watches over her and sees her get attacked. Uh, again, this is starting to feel very familiar with the Raimi movie. Uh, yeah. So Spider-Man is kind of known for being quippy in the comics. The Andrew Garfield version gets praised, I think, the most for his trash talk. But Cameron takes kind of a different approach that I sent over to you, which is uh, a different type of dialogue <laughs> for when <laughs> Spider-Man confronts MJ's okay. attackers. So uh, deliver it for us the classic Spider-Man quip that Cameron has written for us. If you worthless chunks of vomit show your faces around here again, I'll decorate my Christmas tree with your intestines. Got it? <laughs> so Cameron goes a little far on the angry Spider-Man thing. I just... Yeah worthless chunks of vomit <laughs> i'm like ah, uh, this is feeling a little i mean yeah it's not like spider-man's never been angry but this is this is a little too much here you James, absolute so. pieces of shit <laughs> i'll decorate my christmas tree with your intestines <laughs> i'll jump rope with your large intestine <laughs> like this is not the punisher james jesus so <laughs> he threatens he threatens the uh, criminals and spider-man um takes MJ web-slinging around Manhattan and ends up getting a kiss through the mask. Not the upside-down kiss yet. That's not in this version, but uh, it's just kissing through the mask. But again, you can kind of see the DNA that ends up in the Raimi movie. So uh, Spider-Man yep. meets up with Electro, a.k.a. Strand, along with Cordelia, his girlfriend, and uh, the Sandman. And basically, Strand has been gathering people with special abilities, not to turn them into the Avengers, but basically you know, give them a place to belong he brings right. up the sandman's origin that sandman used to be a maintenance worker who got caught in an explosion and got fused of sand he became a criminal until strand found him and employed him do you like sandman um i'll put it this way i liked i liked the additions that they gave to him in spider-man 3 even though he's still underdeveloped okay diplomatic answer i don't know man i, I wasn't never i wasn't i was never really a big sandman fan i just think the additions to the movie are good like doc ock is really cool green goblin's cool hobgoblin mm -hmm. venom of course but honestly he's better as a henchman in this i, I might like sandman less than craven <laughs> I, I don't know man <laughs> i just I, like and no offense to the guy that played him mm -hmm. you know that guy's made a shitload of money and residuals probably mm -hmm. anyway like that's that's awesome, but just I don't know, man. It's not for me. I think maybe, his maybe role in No Way Home run out there. I don't know. Yeah, I think his his role in No Way Home is what worked. You know, where yeah, he's like yeah. he's in it, and it, like it, it it makes sense why he's 
he's kind of a part of it in trying to get home. I don't get home unless you guys get home, that type of thing. Like it, it made sense for what it was. He was um, better in that, but like in the in the Maguire ones, like I was just like, well, smartphones weren't even out then, but that was like kind of a check your phone moment. <laughs> oh, Sandman. I, I don't know. I just man. think this does do it the, for me. The origin is beautifully done, though, with this uh, with the sand and him reaching with the ring, but he's not able to. Uh, is it a ring? I forgot what it was, but he, he uh, he's reaching for it here, and just the the effects for that, and the Christopher Young score as well. Um, I just really like how they how they did that aspect, but there's, there's there's not much they could do with him outside of just like, well, now in this version, he's got a daughter. I didn't really like him being the kill, real killer of Uncle Ben, though, but I got the whole movie's about revenge and forgiveness. So like I once once it came together with that, I'm like, OK, I guess so. But it's not my it's not my favorite choice for that. Maybe I need to give it another shot, but I just remember it not being my thing at the time mm-hmm. when I saw it. I think he works best in like the side character type of role. Just like, you know, Killer Croc kind of just works best when he's like part of the story, but he's not the main villain for a whole movie. Probably not. You know, like it, it's, it's he's one of those type of characters, I think. Like Zaz. Yeah, that too. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, Strand wants to take Spider-Man under his wing and Spidey feels tempted due to the fact that he does not have a father figure in his own life. So this is kind of similar to what we saw in the movies. Peter kind of has that father figure connection with Norman Osborn and Octavius in the Tobey Maguire movies with Kurt Connors when he's Andrew Garfield with Tony Stark when he's Tom Holland. This is kind of a common theme where he finds a father figure type of mentor. Um, but Strand kind of screws this up. He explains his rationale that they are the fittest in the survival of the fittest and they are superior to ordinary people. And Spider-Man, who basically sympathizes with the ordinary person, the little guy, isn't really down for this. So that causes a fight between Spider-Man and Electro uh, with Strand accidentally blasting electricity blasts through his own home and Spidey dodging thanks to his Spidey sense, as well as having to fight Sandman at the same time. Spider-Man makes them break open the aquarium, spilling water on Strand and shorting him out before Spidey can escape. So now he's made an enemy, a very powerful enemy with superpowers. So to get back at Spider-Man, Strand buys the station that Jameson runs and gives Jameson an unlimited budget to bash Spider-Man in the public eye 24-7. And he wants to sour Spider-Man to the rest of the world so he has no choice but to come back to him. There's some shades of this and uh, Defoe's Green Goblin in the Raimi Spider-Man who also kind of wanted to you know, team up with them. His, his generous proposal in the 2002 movie. So uh, I think, again, more of that DNA coming over here. Strand also hires thugs to dress up as Spider-Man to commit crimes and sully the hero's name even further. Uh, there's a funny bit where Spider-Man's suit was wrecked in the fight with Strand and the Sandman, but since Spider-Man used to be so popular, there's a bunch of stores with uh, old costumes, so Peter kind of just goes to a store and buys a new Spider-Man suit. It's kind of funny. He <laughs> uh, even funny. thinks that it's improve, an improvement over the one that he did. That's a funny note, and it yeah. maybe makes him a little bit more incognito in some way. Yeah, Um, there's also a bit where Spider-Man is trying to do his thing, but he's got the flu and he ends up puking on a fire escape for and uh, people notice and tell him to go puke somewhere else. So there is chunks of vomit. There are actual chunks of vomit in this besides the people he uh, he uh, saved MJ from. So uh, Spidey also has a crisis of faith in if one man can really make a difference and what the lines are between victim and villain when the city is starting to turn their back on him. And being more and more ungrateful, he starts to feel like there's no good people to save, only bad ones. Uh, 
there's even a part where Spider-Man stops a crime and finds that they're just a bunch of kids. One kid slips on the fire escape and dies, adding to Spider-Man's guilt. I'm like, camera, this is way too dark at this point. Yeah. It's yeah, it's kids dying in this fucking script. It's underdeveloped. Uh, like it's just one scene in a Spider-Man movie, and now he's like partially responsible for a kid's death. It's just, I'm like, eh, like that's that's the first thing that goes when they yeah. uh, turn this into an actual script. That is uh, true. Aunt May also has to make house payments and pay for an operation for herself. Spider-Man is tempted to steal money from a drug dealer in order to do it, but instead he takes it and spreads it across the poor neighborhoods of the city. Okay. Um, so it's kind of a nice development of Spider-Man becoming more and more of a hero, even though the city wants to paint him out to be a villain. So Strand starts to notice that a lot of Spidey's activities are in Queens, and so he tells his men in the Sandman to concentrate themselves in that area. Maybe they can find him. Uh, MJ goes on the news defending Spider-Man on the air, and to show his gratitude, Spider-Man appears at her home and takes her to the Brooklyn Bridge for a romantic moment. Now, one of our fans, Walter the Wobot, asked us a question, saying, I heard Cameron wrote a script where Mary Jane comes around his house, and while the two of them are in his bedroom making out, when Peter becomes a little excited, he squirts web fluid all over her. Any truth to this? <laughs> or was my friend pulling my leg? Well, Walter, your friend was pulling your leg. However, here's the actual scene that happens between Spider-Man and MJ, and I don't know if you'll find this any better. But at the bridge, uh, Spider-Man basically talks to MJ about spiders, but he does it in a way where he's trying to be seductive and do bedroom talk while talking about spiders. So <laughs> I'll have you read the seduction dialogue that he says to MJ uh, up on the Brooklyn Bridge. Well, you know, babe, in certain crab spiders, such as Zistiskisk, the male will attach strands of silk to the female, tying her limbs. Since the female can break at any time, the bonds have only symbolic significance. She that's likes only, it. That's only the first sentence of the very long monologue that he gives, but he uses webbing to tie her wrists behind her and then tells MJ to close her eyes. And then he takes the mask off and the two of them proceed to have sex on a web above the Brooklyn Bridge. Whoa, really? So Spider-Man does lose his virginity on a At web. At 17. <laughs> above the Brooklyn Bridge. At 17, which beats both you and me. Yeah, that's so... true. Who's a nerd now? <laughs> it's us. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Joke's on us. <laughs> oh, dude. Yeah. So Joke's on us. <laughs> fucking Cameron dude god damn it so Spider-Man loses his v-card before the host of superhero stuff you should know yeah. and uh MJ oh, goes back to school it's not hard and now yeah it's true and now uh MJ goes back to school but she's also more comfortable with tarantulas she seems to be more interested in science and her popular friends are grossed out by what they're doing in science but MJ doesn't we see the need we saw you fuck on that web <laughs> She doesn't see the need to try to put on appearances and fit in with other people anymore. She starts. She's just feeling, feeling more relaxed than she normally is. <laughs> you know, it's just something yeah. about what happened in her life recently. Indeed, yes. She's in love with this masked man. Cortisol uh, levels have lowered. <laughs> yes, and oxytocin you know, is up. Is up. So, so there it is. Yeah. So uh, we go back to Strand and we find that the villains have a videotape 
thankfully of just MJ kissing uh, Spider-Man and being taken away, not a sex tape of them on the Brooklyn Bridge, because I thought for a second it was going to go there. And I was like, oh, Cameron, I don't know about this. <laughs> that would be incredible. You have to like stop these people with the tapes like fucking Pammy, Pammy and Tommy Lee, man, if you guys have seen that, yeah. that shit on Hulu. Yeah, Cameron's like, I'm just reflecting on celebrity culture in the 90s. I'm like, yeah, but Spider-Man. <laughs> Come on, guys. Oh but, man. Yeah, no, it's it's just it's just a video footage of they kiss and then MJ takes it. Uh I mean Spider-Man takes MJ away from her apartment. Was it the so, upside down kiss? Like famous in the Raimi movie or no? It's not in the script. It's not in the okay. script. I, I think that came from uh, Raimi and uh David Kep is the credited writer on that one. So good uh, beat. Sandman kidnaps MJ and uh, they release an edited version of the recording, not as a sex tape, but as Spider-Man being the one to kidnap her uh, in this. So they probably just deleted the kiss and then just made it seem like he grabs her and then takes her away. So now okay. Spider-Man's a wanted man for kidnapping. Spider-Man knows that Strand's behind this. So he goes to Strand's house only to find that Cordelia, his girlfriend, uh, is dead. And a message from Strand tells him, meet me at the World Trade Center. I have MJ. Then Strand reveals that he's called the police. The police arrive at the house, believing that Spider-Man has not only kidnapped MJ, but now has boosted it up to murder, killing Cordelia. Spider-Man fights off the cops and escapes and reaches the World Trade Center where Strand has MJ hostage. This image is photoshopped by Dan, uh, by the way, of Electro over... Uh, oh, there's Mysterio in the background, too. Mysterio is not in this, by the way. Uh, okay. But <laughs> I just noticed that. Um, but anyway, they're there. And uh, there's a very familiar monologue, actually, from Electro here that he says to Spider-Man uh, that I'll have you say. So fans of the Raimi movie will find this very familiar. <laughs> the only thing they love more than a hero is to see that hero fail, fall, screw up, to see him exposed in a scandal, arrested with his pants down, <laughs> caught with his hand in the till. You know why? It lets them feel better about their own miserable lives. <laughs> so, yeah, this monologue made it into the 2002 Spider-Man with some variations, but Defoe says the same thing as Green Goblin to Spider-Man. So Direct uh, lift. Direct lift here, yeah. Uh, Strand reveals, however, that he knows Peter's secret. Uh, or really, he knows Spider-Man's secret. He doesn't. He's not seen uh, Spider-Man under the mask, but he knows Spider-Man's secret. He knows the webs are organic. And oh, so this becomes up, a plot thing. This becomes a plot thing. He's like, I know what you really are. You're more spider than man. And he rips off the web shooter contraptions on Peter's wrists, and he brings up spiders are not heroes. They're predators. Oh, wow. So basically bringing up, like, You're, you belong with us type of thing. So. Okay. You can see how this becomes a uh, this becomes a plot point. Uh, he also has Sandman arrive with a tower of cash that amounts to two hundred fifty million dollars that that he's going to basically offer to Spider Man to work with him. Spider Man, while tempted, brings up that he almost took money once that drug money uh, that he almost took to Aunt May, but it taught him where the lines were and that maybe he was put here for a reason. Maybe he was here to stop guys like Strand because quote nobody else has the balls. Direct quote. <laughs> I've gotten laid recently, so I'm more <laughs> badass than normal. So this is where shit gets even more crazy. So so Electro, uh, to sort of push the envelope, grabs MJ, kisses her, and electrocutes her enough to make her heart stop. 
in front of Spider-Man. Spider-Man's reaction, I will have you reenact. This is direct dialogue that Spider-Man, that, that Cameron wrote in here. I'll kill you, you motherfucker. You hear me? You sick bastard. <laughs> so, yeah. Spider-Man calls Electro a motherfucker in this script. I did not make that shit up. <laughs> you get one fuck in uh, PG-13. <laughs> PG-13, yeah. But I don't know if motherfucker counts. I think it's just I like, don't know. fuck you or something. That might yeah. be an R-rated only thing. It might be, yeah. But in either case, Cameron is just going unhinged at this point. And Strand brings up, ah, so you are a killer. And he defibrillates MJ back to life. And uh, basically, Spider-Man starts the fight. He web slings MJ away and goes back to basically go into, quote, the final battle. It's a real barn burner, writes Cameron. Vicious and elemental. I won't bore you with the details right now, but it's big. So He wrote that in the script. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I won't bore you with the details. <laughs> he has some details in here, though. Script, script man, the script man. Yeah, but it's also it's a treatment, so he can kind of get away with it at the same time. Yeah. So here's what he actually does right in terms of the details. Spider-Man and Sandman pummel each other. Half of Spider-Man's costume gets ripped off in the fight with Sandman. Strand absorbs electricity to the point where there is a brownout in half of Manhattan and he's using all the electricity against Spider-Man. Spider-Man sees what's going on, and so he web-slings Sandman into the electricity, which turns him from sand into molten glass. There goes Sandman. Uh, That is cool. I was wondering if they would combine that kind of shit. Yeah, yeah. Now it's just down to Strand and Spider-Man. They face off, and they both go off the roof of the World Trade Center, falling. Spider-Man struggles, but manages to save them both, catching Strand in the web, but he kind of Gwen Stacy's it, because Strand ends up slamming right into the steel girders and getting fatally injured when uh, Spider-Man catches him. Okay. So Spider-Man brings to the dying Strand basically up to safety, and the guy asks for his identity. And with nothing to lose, Spider-Man takes off his mask and reveals that he's Peter Parker. And Strand looks at him, and he's like, what are you, a senior in high school? And Peter's like, yeah, I graduate next week. And Strand's like, unbelievable. And then he dies. Who the fuck are you? (laughs) Yeah, he he dies knowing that he just got defeated by a high school kid. I don't know who you are. (laughs) 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 So it's kind of fun. I kind of like that aspect. No, it's cool. Uh, Peter then sees the big tower of money and lets it rain all over New York, bringing up that it might not save the world, but it saves him. Uh, so that's kind of a cool beat. I like, yeah. um, <clears throat> back at school, Peter lies to people about his injuries. Cause he's kind of fucked up from, from fighting both Sandman and Electro at this point. And he tells them instead he fell off his moped. Uh, MJ is about to graduate, but even though she originally planned to just get a car from her parents for getting good grades, thanks to Peter, she instead wants to go to college and become a better student and go to med school. She's kind of inspired by Peter at this point. So I liked, <laughs> I like that aspect. He changed uh, her life, dude. Yeah. Peter does you end know? up kissing MJ, and MJ thinks that the kiss feels familiar. Again, similar to the Raimi Spider-Man. Uh-huh. And Peter whispers to her in his Spider-Man voice, asking, do you trust me? And so MJ realizes that he's Spider-Man. Uh, Flash, however, sees them kiss and gets pissed, wanting to pick a fight with Peter. Peter dodges his blows and uses his web to make Flash fall back. I guess he does it very discreetly because no one else notices. And people witness and cheer, and Cameron comments, that the truth is we really do like heroes, especially the underdogs. I really like that aspect. Mm -hmm. He's basically proving that Strand was wrong. 
Uh, Spider-Man web slings and in the voiceover reveals that he and MJ got accepted into different colleges, but still see each other on the weekends. He tells the audience to be good and then takes off web slinging into the night. The end of this packed scriptment. What did you think? I mean, there's a reason Cameron's where he's at, right? <laughs> I mean, this guy, this is a pretty fucking solid scriptment. Mm -hmm. There's not really many notes you can like make here one yeah. thing though do they ever say with great responsibility and all that with great power uh no but i think it like the theme is there the theme is there okay. it just never really says it because it does it's never said in the original amazing fantasy in by dialogue it's said in the narration that's just one of those things you're kind of waiting for them to see like oh they said the thing they said the thing yeah and... i think Ravy had the best uh way to do it by doing it through uncle ben Right. Uh, so that's the only thing I can think of. The rest is like, I mean, what? What? God, what can't I'd, you? I'd cut the kid make? dying. Oh yeah, that part. <laughs> I'd probably yes, cut. I'd probably cut, cut the cut intestines that. decorating the Christmas tree line. <laughs> yeah. that, could, that could easily be changed. I'll kill you, motherfucker. <laughs> it's also like, uh, I don't know, dude. <laughs> I could just see Cameron in '96, like, oh yeah, fuck yeah. He says, motherfucker here. <laughs> there's some parts of this where i'm just like maybe you should just do the punisher dude yeah <laughs> or right. introduce the punisher with this but yeah uh this it's overall it's it's i liked it i liked it better than the previous one i think if you combine oh, way better yeah like if you combine some things from the other one into this then uh you kind of have a, a good start but really I, I think overall we really lucked out with what we got in 2002 i think the raimi movie is still better than both of these uh still but like this this has a solid foundation that the raimi movie could build off of definitely uh there's some conflicting information on like why wasn't this made how come james cameron didn't get to do spider-man especially because it's weird to think of a world where james cameron doesn't get to do what he wants um, so according to Cameron, he blames it on the corporate fighting, uh, as Canon and Kuroko, the companies that had the rights, both of them went bankrupt eventually. Right. Uh, Sony ended up with the rights. Cameron wanted to do it with 20th century Fox, uh, the studio that he is doing the avatar movies with. And Cameron said that Fox quote, didn't have the stomach to get into a big fight with Sony, even though it was very winnable. Uh, Cameron of course would move on with Titanic in 1997. And, uh, at that point, he became, you know, king of the world and stuff. But it's it's also a time where he's quoted that he no longer had any interest in doing movies that were not his original creations. So hence all these blue people movies that we're getting. With him. I get so, it. Uh, it's weird, yeah. you know, like he's like one of those directors that's never really missed. I mean, mm -hmm. some people think Avatar is kind of boring or there's some Avatar hate, but mm -hmm. I don't know. It's still not really a miss, though. It's. I don't know. I feel like he, like a lot of like A tier, S tier directors and actors and all that. They have a couple stinkers, you know. But mm -hmm. I don't know, man. Like if you look at uh, Cameron's oeuvre, real solid. Yeah, really yeah. solid. So like I, I can also understand like once you once he got Titanic out there and and won the awards, it's like well I can do whatever I want. And Spider Man got screwed over because he doesn't own the rights to Spider Man. You know, he, he spent all that time. He wrote the scriptment. Uh, he might have potentially been talking to Arnold, all that stuff. And then it, it didn't happen because he doesn't own Spider-Man. So it's just like, well, why would I want to go through all that again when I have all my own original ideas? And it's not like people aren't going to let him do his original ideas anymore. So I can I can understand him just being like, all right, like, I'm not going to do 
the one superhero he was really interested in, he didn't get to do because of right stuff. So it's, it's like, why bother when he can just do all the other stuff that he wants to do? It's so. funny that it was like Spider-Man didn't work out. So Titanic. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, I'm going to change the game in a real mm-hmm. big way, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, he. Uh, this was not a huge loss in the end. No. Uh, for him. We still ended up getting a Spider-Man movie, and Cameron's career still took off. So it, it's really... It all worked out. Still took. It was already taken off by. Oh yeah, what T two or more. something, right? Yeah, especially by T two. T one, he was like, it was a he was first, rising. I think first or second time director. T one, the first Terminator was like mm-hmm. a very beginning mm-hmm. level for him. I think. Yeah, yeah, and I think he gets further elevated with you know the awards from Titanic and then Avatar. And stuff, which is, you know, why those have made so much money is people, people are interested. Like Cameron is kind of the name that brings you into these movies. So I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't find anything official on potential casting. There's a lot of like fan talk on what it could have been. Cameron himself does not mention any names in the book. I know a bunch of people were saying it was going to be Leo as Spider-Man as shown in this mock-up poster. But I feel like they're mainly saying that because Leo was in Titanic not necessarily because of anything else. So, uh, yeah, there we go uh, on this. This is a mock-up that isn't quite somewhere. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure who did it. It does look very Drew Struzanist. It looks like Nikki Cox as MJ, and then it has Green Goblin in there, even though Green Goblin Cameron's not a fan of. But I think they were just presuming, like, what if it was the Raimi movie, but directed by Cameron and having, you know, a different cast. Um. One thing I did like, though, someone proposed Lance Henriksen as Strand since Lance was in oh, Aliens, yeah. and I thought that that would be great. I would have yeah, loved that. That's he's true. perfect for that thing. I can just see his face as he's lying on the ground, and he sees that it's <laughs> like he takes off his mask and it's young Leo, and he's just like, "What are you in a senior in high school?" <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable <awesome>. <laughs> as he dies. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it is. It's also like a better arc for Peter than the previous one. Like the previous one didn't seem like it had much of an arc to Peter himself. It was just kind of like, all right, well, his uncle Ben died, but he doesn't really learn much from that. And then he stops Doc Ock at the end and gets the girl. The end. Yeah, this is this is like he retained the heart of the film, right? Mm. And like, like I've said before, sometimes it feels like they surgically remove the heart and everything yeah. good about a property. But Cameron knew to keep, you know, he knew what parts to keep in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah, it's great. I mean, it's just, yeah, not really much to say other than the what we already said, I guess. Yeah. Harder to make fun of than the Wiener script. This yeah. Wienerless one. But yeah. some, some of the dialogue was pretty funny. When reading through it, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Right. But, the dialogue is a little bit off, but as of. Yeah. He probably wrote this in a weekend, man. You know, Probably. Is, he probably never looked at it again either. You know, like this is yeah. a really good first draft. Yeah. Yeah, again, like some of this could some of the stuff that diverges from the comic could just be given at the time. He just forgot the original name, you know, like if you don't have Wikipedia, you don't have the Internet, you might be waiting on a comic collection that your assistant ordered because you might be doing the Spider-Man movie. It makes sense that like they wouldn't be here in terms of the real names of Flash Thompson or Electro or Sandman. And then, you know, just cut the dark. Some of the darker stuff that kind of felt weird, like the intestines line or the kid dying. And, you know, it's not a bad Spider-Man movie at all. Nah, it was good. Really good. Yeah. So, and that is superhero stuff you should know. 
big thanks to Dan for the visuals on this episode. Uh, we have a few fan comments. I specifically picked the Spider-Man related fan comments. So the Ant1747 commented on our Spider-Man suits episode with Zach saying, quote, Spider-Man 3 is underrated. Venom was shoehorned, but man, is Raimi's Venom better than Tom Hardy's? It's more closer to the comics. I'd have to. Uh, I haven't. I still haven't seen the Tom Hardy ones. Tom <laughs> Hardy wearing ones the... are just dumb. <laughs> but I, I'm telling you, Venom Two is like kind Fun of dumb. good. Good by ac- accident. Like it's so weird that it's good. Mm-hmm. We've had some listeners also say that they liked uh, Venom Two as well. So I'll I, I can't. I can't defend the Venom One honestly, but. <laughs> but I don't know, man. Andy Circus really kind of knew what he was doing. <laughs> Somehow, some weird Someday way. I'll check it out. Uh, yeah. Topher's Venom is more intimidating. To be fair, he is actually playing a villain as opposed to an anti-hero. Uh, yeah, and the movie yeah. overall is so good. Uh, yeah, I mean, speaking for myself, I, I think Spider-Man 3, like, yeah, it has the rep of Toby dancing and shit, but that's like 10 minutes out of a two and a half hour movie. Like the, the themes of revenge and forgiveness and stuff are there, even though it is really overstuffed and it is the weakest out of the three in the trilogy. But if, if you play around or you, you pick and choose in terms of it being just venom or just Sandman or just the new goblin and stuff, then it, it could have like, they could have had three in a row home runs as opposed to like a slight miss, you know? Right. But uh, that's my thoughts. Stage I, back. I never hated Spider-Man three. I, I actually kind of liked it mostly. It was just the dance scene that was <laughs> just really I hated. I hear you. Uh, stage bat Watson says. I always thought Garfield, Andrew Garfield, was a great Spider-Man, but they screwed up his Peter Parker by making him an Evo skateboarder and not the earnest nerd that Maguire and Holland did so well. In my mind, when Peter puts on the mask, he can be a loudmouth quipster because the anonymity gives him the confidence to do that, which Garfield nails. I mean, I think it's I think a lot of like it's there's a joke on Twitter that the most basic bitch Spider-Man movie opinion is that Toby was a better Peter. Garfield was a better Spider-Man. And Holland is a good mix of both. But I feel like there's some element of truth to that um, yeah. in some ways, because I think uh, Maguire got to really encapsulate the like undergo- underdog geek side. And Garfield really got to encapsulate the like quipping fun. Like this is a fun for me type of aspect of Spider-Man right. um, in his movies. Uh, so I can kind of see why people say that, even though it's a joke that it's it's a basic opinion. Right. Um, but thank you. Stage back. And uh, it it is our final episode for 2022, but from Twitter at the great Lou says, thanks superhero stuff. You should know by Superhouse for being my top podcast on Spotify this year. I loved all 7,402 minutes of it. Spotify rap, man. We have that many minutes. (sighs) Looks like it. I guess so. (laughs) So, Well, thanks for listening. Thank you. That's a lot. Yep. Thank you for that. Uh, And uh, yeah, we are, you know, it is the holiday, so we will be taking a bit of a break, but we will be back uh, in January uh, for a bit, specifically, uh, if I'm doing the math correctly, January 16th. So uh, we will see you then. Yeah, we'll see you then. A little bit of a break, holiday break, everybody. So Mm -hmm. uh, um, please don't be alarmed if uh, there's a break in our, uh, what you call it, um, usual programming. Yeah, usual programming. Mm-hmm. All right. So we want to thank everybody here. We want to thank our friends 
uh, that are that are Patreones, and uh, mm-hmm. they some of them some of the more recent people include Kevin R, Derek O, Mark M, Renee V, Braxton W, and Tita, and our other supporters as well. Thank you guys so much. And uh, once now that we've told you about our friends, we'd like you to do us a favor. We want you to tell all your friends about us. Have you, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs>